0: It's a lot of the people who would have left are not. It's it's not quite the same, you know. I think a lot of that sh- that people were chasing is not. It's not there in the same way, you know. Those big fancy whatever far away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. It 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 has some of that has proven itself to be a, a little bit of an illusion maybe, or it's just gone entirely.
1: That's Ross Gay about 50 years from now, reflecting on how things changed. On this week's Interstates, the last two episodes of How to Survive the Future, a show about today from the perspective of tomorrow. First, we'll hear from Chuck Thrawley about the pollution in Martinsville, Indiana, and how things improved in the 2020s. Then we hear from Ross Gay about decorating speed bumps and sharing fruit. Let's get right into it. This is episode four, Martinsville.
2: We are just right now probably 75 yards away from the building where the uh, the source of the contamination in the, in the uh, the large downtown plume that uh, bedeviled this town for for a number of years.
1: So if you can maybe introduce yourself.
2: Okay. Um, I'm Chuck Thraley. I guess I would best be described as a retired librarian. Um, I'm about two months away from my 80th birthday. Morgan County has been home to me now, for me now, since uh, 1989. We lived in Martinsville from 1989 to 2004, which was the period of time when the uh, contamination started to become known and in, in the period of time before the water was, was being treated. We are just now in 2031 beginning to get fairly clean vapor readings coming out of the ground. When it was turned over as a, a Superfund site for the uh, federal government to come in and take over, it became kind of a bone of contention for several years on does it need cleaned up right away, that. That what terrible. needs to be done. But we're going here to this alley, okay. this building we're looking at here with the yellow brick, uh-huh. that back half of it is where the pumps and everything are that okay. the EPA used. When they were doing that mediation work here, uh-huh. it was a I business dim, that was on sure. the uh, on the well, on the town square in the courthouse yeah, of the county seat. Dim was in charge of. And right across the street from it, a, uh, an industrial dry cleaners yeah. operated, say which, say
1: which spilled well. chemicals. Monitoring wells, Morrison Dubuque Tetrachloroethane,
2: I believe, is the uh, chemical name for it.
1: Basically, well, little well covers, yeah, right metal right here well here, covers, where the tanks still are, and the pumps right here. In this building, okay, right in this building, it's like white cinder block.
2: Yeah, no, look here. Breaks down into PCEs and TCEs, which are some of those forever chemicals that you hear about. There There were a number of 50-gallon drums when the company went bankrupt that were found in the basement. When they actually went out of business in '91, was when it when it became um, obvious how much had been spilled and was still there.
1: How many would you say there are? There's, There's at least 28. 20. Uh-huh.
2: okay. Because see, they're all here, here, there, there, there. Mm-hmm. When it That's started story school over there. to become obvious that okay. there was water that, that sort of house that that contamination in the primarily support. one of the wells that supplied the city, they had a water test which showed the level of the PCE and the water was well above what was a safe level, and people had been drinking it for some time at that point.
1: And this is now, like, residential. It's, like, there's a... Residential, yeah. It's, like, a couple of houses with gardens right across the street from, like, an old auto shop.
2: Various solutions were tried through the years. You'll see over here
1: on the street, some of them are... These
2: cars are parked over them, but you'll see... uh, more of these wells. Public information was always a little a little behind the curve of, as they were trying to get a handle on what they needed to do to be safe and meet federal regulations and not to scare people. although not scaring people meant that people were drinking water they shouldn't have been drinking. We lived about three blocks from the, from the courthouse. So we were within about four blocks of the, uh, of the masterware facility. Uh, we drank city water. We had a 100-year-old two-story home with a crawl space, a partial crawl space and a partial basement. Water, of course, uh, leaked in in times of flood. So we were, we were being exposed both to um, whatever vapors were there at, at the time and whatever got mixed in with the groundwater to, uh, to run in and, and to be pumped out through the sump pump. Well, we had two daughters who uh, were born in 78 uh, and uh, 1981. They were both teenagers at the time. We were living in, uh, the expo- in the exposure area. One story of Lauren at about 13, there had been a stray cat running around our neighborhood that uh, we kept saying couldn't come in the house she had, had a bunch of kittens in a falling-down barn across the alley from our house. My wife and I came home from work to find these uh, kittens inside the house. And Lauren earnestly telling us that the mother kitten had brought them one at a time, <laughs> carried them to our back step. <laughs> and at this point, they were already in the house. And her sister, who was three years younger, had, had just kind of nodded and said, yes, she just showed up with them. It probably took four years <laughs> for, for one of the girls to finally spill the beans that Lauren had gone over and fought the mother cat to get a hold of the kittens and bring them back to the house. <laughs> Lauren she uh, married a businessman who uh, owned property in uh, in town, a number of rental properties. The two homes that they lived in during their marriage were uh, were at the edges of the plume. In 2000 and uh, and three, when her, uh, her son was born, she uh, experienced a, a fairly rare uh, a condition called uh, peripartum cardiomyopathy or postpartum periomyopathy, which is a, a, a swelling of the heart. It's one of those things that there are almost no signs of during the pregnancy and within a few weeks of the the pregnancy she was in the hospital and potentially on a heart donor list. Um, Had uh, had heart failure at one point from it in the hospital. We were living... (laughs) We, we had moved in with, with her husband, who briefly to uh, to help take care of Eli, our, our grandson, because he, of course, was overwhelmed with a, a new baby and a wife in the hospital, who they were talking at one point of flying to St. Louis for a heart transplant. Eventually, she had a defibrillator in place, and was uh, stabilized to the point that uh, they, they felt like her heart had, had recovered her, but that she was going to need the defibrillator and constant monitoring. Uh, she stood a little over five foot tall and weighed at times slightly less than 100 pounds. So yeah, having a defibrillator implanted in her chest was a pretty big deal. So uh, for basically the next 12 years, she was uh, monitored with that. The one thing that both of of Eli's parents always did was to try to make him feel perfectly safe. After their divorce, Lauren and Eli lived with us for a, a few years. We had enough room. And he got to uh, spend time with his father, got to uh, live with us out in the woods. His father made sure that he was the uh, first one in our addition to have his own dirt bike when he was uh, about seven. <laughs> and he, he re- when he started uh, riding it up and down the gravel lane uh, in the area within, uh, within about three weeks— <laughs> other kids started getting <laughs> getting dirt bikes. I know people talk about the dreaded they come back but uh, it, it was nice to be able to help and to uh, to work with her her getting back on her feet again. and eventually when she did find work that uh, was substantial to where she felt like she could uh, maintain a home, Edwin made sure that she would have an apartment. Edwin is. The uh, or, oh, Eli's father. But uh, Edwin had uh, one of the better houses that he had. That he had them in for a while. Uh, when I found out more about the plume, was in an area that um, near a ball field that was another hot spot. Uh, we we were never exactly sure whether living in the contamination area had anything to do. With with her medical problems, uh, it's not something that I have found listed as as a result of PCE contamination. But you always have to wonder. You always have to wonder what might have. Uh, there was some suspicion that uh, she might have the beginning symptoms of MS. Uh, had had uh, the defibrillator replaced one time at the, at that point and the battery was going down had uh, had had a uh, an ablation performed in her heart because she was starting to get weird rhythms and palpitations and in the uh, in a in a, sur- in a surgery to remove that defibrillator and to make it possible for her to have MRIs to diagnose more of what was going on a uh, artery artery or vein in her in her heart was ruptured and she was on on the operating table for over 8 hours before she died uh, again the, whether whether that was a direct result of the contamination, I'll never be able to say conclusively. It left uh, left our grandson Eli with his father, who is uh, blind and diabetic. It does have a a very successful business, but you know a, a number of his rental properties were over the plume. One group was uh, going door to door, finding out what people knew, what they were concerned about. It's a hard slog sometimes in organizing. And I have developed a real real admiration for people who can lay the case out and get people to work together. Because I think once people understand First, that there's a problem. Second, that the problem is not being effectively addressed. And three, that the only way to get it addressed is to make it important to the people who have the resources to do something about it. Luckily, there were initially a few concerned people who had technical expertise, who kept it on the front burner. By 2020, the city government was actually trying very hard to try to do something that uh, in conjunction with the EPA would protect people. Tell me about he is my one grandson, and he is the most amazing grandson one, one could hope to have. As, uh, as he and Lauren moved on, he uh, became interested in magic, and I had tried to get him interested in guitar off and on through the years, and he had played a little bit of harmonica with me I think, well, the seventh grade, I think he used the guitar as, uh, I wish I could, uh, this has been, uh, what, 13, 14 years ago, at least now. <laughs> but he, um, he used the uh, guitar as, as a prop in a magic trick, playing some blues licks, and by a, uh, by his sophomore year, auditioned with the uh, jazz band at the high school. From early on, he was uh, focusing on wanting to get into Berklee School of Music in Boston. That was a few really scary years as he finished up his high school, got the auditions in. So
1: but, what
2: did he do? Uh, he uh, he got into Berkeley, <laughs> and he he stuck with it. And he is, uh, he's currently teaching a couple of adjunct courses. <laughs> he uh, is staying fairly busy with local uh, music groups, doing studio work with them, and has continued to compose.
1: Is there a particular moment recently that you've gotten to see him really be the Fullest self that's made you mm-hmm. feel proud.
2: Uh, one of the uh, one of the musicians he studied with at Berkeley had passed through and played at the Chatterbox in Indianapolis uh, last year, and just uh, going to see him working as a pro. Someplace I could drive up to. (laughs) Uh, Because my eyesight's not what it used to be. Ten years ago, I'd have driven in a heartbeat (laughs) to Chicago (laughs) to see him. But uh, to see him was just uh, as much of a delight as I could possibly hope to have. (laughs) I'm kind of a uh, glass half-empty kind of guy, and... The glass isn't much to speak of either. (laughs) I'm actually feeling much better right now about Martinsville. You can feel it here today. The downtown is fairly busy right now, even at this time of the morning. A lot of people coming in and out for... uh, They've finished up the breakfast rush at a couple of the restaurants, but people are still walking around with their coffee. The people from the courthouse, the workers are coming back in with their coffee. The day spa for nails and and various exercise and pampering activities has been in business for about 12 years now, still seems to be doing just fine. See a lot of people coming in and out of there. It's right across from the, uh, the courthouse entrance. It's been a long time, a long time coming and still a ways to go, but it's happening and uh, the people are better off for it.
1: I have maybe just one more question and it's about Lauren and the health struggles that she had and then, you know, about losing her and the pollution. You know, you said a couple times that there's really no way to know to what degree the pollution may or may not have played into her health problems. I'm curious if you could know if there was a direct link there, would you want to know that? Would it make it better to know that? Would it make it worse? Yeah, I think
2: to actually to actually know that uh, the uh, irresponsible acts of a bad businessman dumping poison into the city that he was doing business in, was directly responsible for losing her, would give me a focus for rage, but I'm not sure that he would be fruitful. You know, I regret every day that Lauren's not here to see what a fine young man she raised and how big and how much he's inherited his mother's heart.
1: That was How to Survive the Future, Episode 4, Martinsville. This is Interstates. We'll be right back. This is Interstates. I'm Alex Chambers. We're listening to Episodes 4 and 5 of How to Survive the Future, a show about today from the perspective of tomorrow. Episode 5 takes place on the near west side of Bloomington, Indiana, about half a century from now. Maybe let's wait till the siren is Yeah. We got a lot of sirens in our old neighborhood yeah and yeah. Uh, we get plenty of sirens on our news, yeah. in our new neighborhood too, partly because we're in Washington and the cops that's right, just that's right. like fly um, up Washington fly down wash south on Washington and we're like just past the crest of a hill yeah. and so it's like they, they like get air as they go over the hill. And you know, you're going over the hill so you can't yeah, see a, that well. The kids the and there are street. kids. Yeah. Yeah. We want to organize the neighborhood thing and get speed bumps put in kids. for the cops. I don't um, know how if we'll get around to it, but Yeah. You build your home. That's what we did in this neighborhood.
0: Really? really? Yeah, we wanted to, to slow down all the all the cars. So uh-huh. we just there's like speed bumps and there's We're next We just build the speed bumps and then we you know, like a lot of the kind of neighborhoods have these big old drawings on the streets, you know, which is always fun. Just like at any point, people could be out drawing murals on the streets, so it makes people drive slower. <laughs> makes people drive slower. Yeah.
2: What's up, babies? What oh, being busy. Huh?
0: <laughs> What's up, Henry? Hi.
1: Uh,
0: How are you? You say. Got that voice like a grown person. What's that about?
1: Hello. Man,
0: that, ha- that happened quick. Did it happen that quick or has it been happening for a while? I don't know. <laughs> you, real quick. You. Hey, happy birthday. Aw, thank you, Lovey, love Debbie. Yeah, Appreciate it. Yeah. Henry, you doing all right?
2: Yeah.
0: It's good to see you. Yeah, you too.
2: How about Robin? Good Hi, little Robin.
0: I see you all the time. Makes me so glad. What are you eating? The same thing you got. <laughs> <laughs> I told Alex I'm writing a book of delights again, and the delight is like if my grandmother could see that I had to tape my finger <laughs> to cut up the pears, what would she do to me? <laughs> what, should, what would she say? We're gonna go buy a five-gallon bucket of peanut
2: butter now.
0: Love you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Bye. Bye, babies. See you, Henry. Bye.
1: Could you
0: introduce yourself? I'm Ross Gay. My name's Ross Gay. I used to teach at IU. I taught at Indiana University for a bunch of years, and I've just lived in this neighborhood since 2000, and God damn, crazy. Half a century, 2007, more than half a century. Yeah, I've lived here. I never thought I'd say it, but I've lived in this town for 67 Years, it's nuts. But anyway, yeah, I taught up there for a bunch of years, probably like almost 40 years, and I've been retired for a couple decades or so now, but I still keep writing books, and I'm busy around here. You know, there's a lot to do around here. There's all these like lineages of all these gardens, so, you'll notice that in this garden, there's gonna be stuff that's planted in the next garden because we know each other. And then just when we're dropping stuff off, we're like, do you have seeds for that? You know, I love that. And then it moves and then the next one. (laughs) So there's like a kind of migration of plants (laughs) through the neighborhood in that way of just people, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but like people sharing what they love, tasting what they love and then being like, hey, can I have a little bit of that? or people of course what we do like seeing this oh you love that didn't you here take some you can grow some too not as a way of being like I don't want you to take any more anymore <laughs> though you know sometimes I can get pretty excited about some of these things <laughs> more as a way of being like let's all let's all grow all of everything so we can all share everything and you know so that's one of the things like watching the way that the plants have kind of moved through the neighborhood Like, I remember seeing it, like at some point, you know, someone was growing sweet potatoes at the end of the block. Not everyone knew that you could grow sweet potatoes, but by, you know, eventually, a lot of people, you know, it's like, oh, everyone's growing (laughs) sweet potatoes. Not everyone, but a lot of people are growing sweet potatoes. And then there's also that thing of like, the people who are just really good at tomatoes. Some people are really good at tomatoes. Not all of us, I'm not good at tomatoes. Whatever that means, you know. So we just know that. And so that person who's good at tomatoes, I happen to be real lucky with garlic. Let me take, I got your garlic. You do my tomato. It just works. It's just like, it's kind of funny that we ever had to be shown that again, you know? One of the things that's been really beautiful to me is that there were still are some standing but a lot of these i think they're norway maples the ones that they're really beautiful and they grow big but they they fall apart people were just replacing them with fruit trees it was just like what it was and and not only that there was a kind of collaborative coordinated effort to like fill up the neighborhood with the fruit trees and so there's all these plantings around town by now some of those you know some of those trees are gone but some of those trees are like really productive yeah. you know 50 year old 60 year old apple trees you know persimmons and pawpaws and then all kinds of you know choke cherries and many other fruit trees some nut trees you know hazelnut bushes and you know those nut trees not hazelnuts but some of those nut trees don't produce for years and years and so those trees that they were putting in way back then in 2020 or 2018 or whatever those nut it trees are now making tons of nuts. A Saskatoon berry and a June berry. And does anyone know why it's called a service berry? So, and that's not just this neighborhood, that's other neighborhoods. When the plant bloomed in northern areas, that's when you knew you could have your services because the ground was thawed. So there's really never a shortage. I mean, they make so much um, fruit, so many nuts, anyway, that imagine. people always are trying to sort of figure out how to distribute the abundance of, of nuts. And there are all these people who are just learning and keep on learning how to help the trees survive, you know, help the trees manage the differing conditions. And then those people inevitably, as we do, share their wisdom and that just moves around. And so there's this amazing kind of organic collective of folks who are just kind of around. It's not like there's a list or it's not like there's a... (laughs) It's just like you can kind of basically knock on someone's door and be like, hey, could you tell me how to, I see these spots are showing up on my trees. Can you show me how to do that? And someone's gonna know, you know, someone, if they don't know, the next person knows. And it feels really, really lucky. And of course, as that happens, like, you know, I knew my neighbors, but I didn't know them like I know them now because I didn't automatically, it wasn't an automatic part of my life that we were giving and exchanging. We were exchanging stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes we would. You know, we have dear friends, you know, that we've been friends with now for, you know, 70 years. <laughs> so those folks, you know, we were, we were always kind of just sharing stuff. But, you know, a lot of people, I didn't have occasion for whatever reason, you know, back then, we didn't all talk to each other all the time. But now it's like, if you have hundred pounds of pecans. You kind of got to talk to your neighbors to give it away. <laughs> so yeah, so now we know we know
1: each other different. A couple American plum left. We have pawpaws, persimmons. You know, trees teach us everything, but like, they teach
0: you patience. Like you, with these fruit trees, right when they go in, they look like little, little bits of nothing. And then, Five years down the road, oh, they're making a little fruit. And then 10, 15 years down the road, they're making a lot of fruit. And those trees making fruit are 100% <laughs> showing us how to how to get closer to each other.
2: Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Hey, Ari. How are, you? Hey, guys, how
0: are
2: you? Good, how are you? Good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> No, you can't ride your bike like that. Nah. <laughs> Is that side saddle? Devil. Side saddle. Are guys we are in the middle of processing a million pairs. I guess you are too, maybe. Did you get no, we're not processing anything. We're just, the kids eat them. Oh, you can like, eat them constantly. Eat like 10, 15 <laughs> pieces of fruit a day. <laughs> Did Amy tell you about the veggies that we have sitting on the porch? Yeah, we got, she dropped off she two bags. Up. Okay. of greens, but I think we might've asked for something else too. Yeah, Make a little list. We owe you some dough. I don't uh, know what it is. We're gonna, I think... uh Oh, you just want to do it? with an it. idea to do a little barter with uh, the nuts. With the nuts, yeah. cool. 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 cool, cool. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Good. All right, let's go. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye, good to see you. Good
2: to see you. Bye, Bye, Ari. Bye. Nice Bye, Ari.
0: Yeah, those guys, you know, we do a lot of sharing with them. You know, remember how it was always the thing that you wanted to escape where you came from?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it was just like such a, it was such a thing you had to leave. It's a little different now. It's a lot of the people who would have left are not, it's it's not quite the same, you know? I think a lot of that the that people were chasing is not it's not there in the same way, you know? Those big fancy whatever, far away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It 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 has, some of that has proven itself to be a, a little bit of an illusion maybe, or it's just gone entirely. Like all of these kind of financial crashes and everything, yeah. it's just like, just like on a basic level, like the kind of precarity of that of that world, you know, a world that is kind of like when I say like they, the illusion kind of started to become evident to people. Like, you know, all of the kind of various collapses of like what these paper things that we exchange, you know, kids start to see like that's just it's something phony. About that. And then especially when they're in a place where they're like their needs are being met. And they're in a kind of network of people who are trying to actually, who are actually deeply invested in having their needs met, truly met. You know, meaning this kind of thing, like when those, <laughs> when you know, those guys didn't have to. They those. It's just like part of their thing. They drop by and kind of check on, check on me. You know, and and also I get to check on them. I think kids start, you know, see that like uh, that thing of like being in a kind of thing where people are are just kind of checking on you, you know? This is part of life, it's like checking on your neighbors, you know? You know, so many of, I mean, people of my generation, like, had this thing of like, were constantly, constantly, constantly working toward something that was not ever going to, you know, I can, I can remember that very much, being a young person and like, thinking i had to chase this thing you know and and the only thing i think i actually wanted was something like security and care and community and belonging and the chase was not actually going to end up in that you know the chase was going to was the chase was about the chase or something you know but i feel like kids are kind of you know they're kind of witnessing some of that, the kind of sadness of of some of their elders who who were doing that, and also the wreckage of doing that, which is so different than when people are constantly when people are doing this other thing, you know, this kind of smaller scale thing, um, which becomes kind of bigger scale when there's groups of people doing it together. You know, so, yeah, like, I just feel like people were able to recognize that there was a lot of lonely working towards something that had nothing to do with anything they cared about. Whereas people, you know, some of these kids realizing, oh, maybe I'll stay close to home and maybe I'll like participate in this whole kind of neighborhood, this community thing where spend more time growing food, spend more time cooking with each other, spend more time repairing what we have, spend more time, you know. Learning the songs that my parents sang, you know, like, <laughs> that's a thing. And a lot of these kids, it's, it's amazing. Like a lot of these kids, they drop by and they want to know the stories. They really want to know the stories, you know. I remember when we were kids, we didn't give a shit about our parents' stories, you know, not across the board. This a little over the top. Some of us did, but but we weren't encouraged to really know our, our folk stories. We were encouraged to know the stories of never famous people. <laughs> <laughs> we were encouraged to know the stories of that stuff and not the stories of like the people that we love and who kind of brought us here, you know, um, Yeah. I think of how much time we wasted, (laughs) you know, not to get on a thing, but like just to think about how much time we wasted thinking about what this or that person like wore to some awards show or something or thinking about the awards show or thinking about the awards. (laughs) We spent a lot of time. These kids don't give a shit. They don't even know what it is. You know, They don't even know what it is. They are like they're doing something else. I don't know. They're doing something else. And it's, it's really beautiful to watch.
1: All right, it's time for a quick break. More with Ross Gay on how to survive the future right around the corner. Interstate's Alex Chambers. We're in the midst of episode five of How to Survive the Future with Ross Gay about 50 years from now. Let's get back to it. Hey, do you feel like... Um, I know getting around is a little trickier now. Do you feel up for maybe walking a bit around the neighborhood yeah, yeah, you feel up to up to, yeah, up to yeah, that yeah uh maybe t- like telling some of those stories yeah 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 definitely. cool all right cool. let's do it yeah
0: there are a bunch of things that you know just walking down this block you can see like you know remember when, like the, they're used to never you can see this house here it has the um the rain barrels and the big old you know the god words are starting to fall out of my head you know the um, cisterns is that what you call them but the every house every house now has a huge water catchment situation because you can't count on the rain in the same way you know it was like Rain barrels were a thing, but then someone was like, I think maybe we need to do a 500-gallon thing. It it was weird. It was kind of weird, you know? Like, (laughs) what kind of, what kind of, what were they preparing for? (laughs) But they were preparing for what was coming. What we're in. Yeah, what we're in. And, um, And, you know, sure enough, that person helped a couple people out, too, like that. And then, you know, they were, other people thought it was a good idea and now we all have that. And that's just one of the ways we kind of make sure it's okay because it's it's it can be rough. <laughs> it can be rough. But the other thing I was thinking, I forgot that this, this house right here, they, and this is weird, I don't know if you want to talk about this on your radio show, but they were the first people to start doing the um, compost <laughs> toilets and it was it was illegal when yeah when that happened that was illegal and they were they were totally had some kind of weird thing where they like hid this toilet situation. <laughs> I remember, and we and we kind of could tell, you know, because sometimes I'd be out in the garden late late at night, and I would see. I'm like, wait a second, they're going to the bathroom, <laughs> um, and I also like to piss in the garden. That's as I've always had always have, but that's not what they were doing. I figured, and I I kind of. I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into it with them. But then I kind of. Eventually, we were we were talking, and I said, "Is that a? Is that a <laughs> Are you?" And they said it was. You know. And um, but you know, they swore me to secrecy, and I swore. Um, it seems crazy now to think that we were letting all that go to waste. You know, and every single person. It took a little while. You know, it took a little while, and at first, of course because the city had these regulations and this and that. But eventually, enough people were doing it illegally. And then when certain things kind of started to fall apart, that was, uh, it was just an obvious thing to do. I mean, you didn't really have a big choice, but. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, and then now it's so... I mean, it is. It's not been that long, you know. It's been like 40 years since that. It's been kind of pretty much everyone is doing that. But to think back before that, it just seems the infrastructure that was required to get rid of what we now know is like a resource. Like the in, like, think of how much time we spent with that. And and now we just. I mean, it sucks when it's cold. <laughs> <That's weird. laughs> it sucks, but. It's just that's another thing. But yeah, I forgot about I. I totally forgot about that until we passed this house. Right. And right. This is where it started. This is where it started.
1: <laughs> right. What is
0: that? That sound? Yeah, that's a bird. <laughs> <laughs> Is is that what you wanted to know? (laughs) That's really helpful. (laughs) What kind of bird? That's what I was wondering. I don't know what kind of bird that is, but that's one of those birds that's been... uh, A lot of the birds from from back when are not here as much, but that is one of the ones that's kind of stuck around. Mm -hmm. We got to get someone around here would know that. when certain things were collapsing you know certain um what year was that god you know it was in the 2020s sometime that supply chain stuff got really disrupted oh yeah
1: right right the first pandemic Yeah,
0: yeah 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 that was that was it was stuff got really changed and people had different relationships to work. And it does feel like there were all of these things afoot that were just like, my thing is not exactly my thing, that my thing is a little bit your thing. And so that then those, I don't know, those kind of boundaries about like this, my yard or my my stuff got a little bit fuzzier. It got a little bit fuzzier, you know? I mean, it also was around that same time that we started you know, that that one house that was falling down that we kind of spent a little time working on and it just became a share, you know? And we had all lots of stuff that we just shared in the neighborhood that we put in there. There was just like, oh, okay. We probably don't all need a lawnmower, <laughs> you know? We can figure that out. And we probably don't all need X, Y, and Z. And, you know, at first it was like a tool share and then it was all kinds of other shares and, you know, seed share and, you know, library and it kind of built out. Um, but also I think probably the ways that, um, you know, there would, there used to be like house, unoccupied houses in neighborhoods and they just sit there, um, while people would be sleeping under bridges. Remember that? I do. Hard to believe. And I don't know exactly how that happened, but it, at some point that no longer, Hoarding that resource of space, of shelter, it just stopped it stopped making sense. small good. How's it going?
1: Going It's this one. No, this one?
0: Yeah, it's this one.
1: Okay.
0: Um, folks were going to move into this house. I remember it was, God, it was pretty close to the time that I was moving here. So, 2010 ish. Mm-hmm. And they were starting to move in and they were getting their stuff in. And they evidently, they were hearing this kind of, this, the house, they, they, they kind of felt like the house was alive. <laughs> I remember I remember them coming over one night, um, just kind of hanging out. Um, and they thought it was ridiculous that they th- even thought it, but it felt, it felt kind of like the house was alive. And, and cause there's a graveyard right nearby too. So they were kind of like, is it haunted? And this and that. And, but they, they just kept on, you know, unpacking and doing their thing. And old house though too, it's a very old 1898 house. Um, this neighborhood, a lot of these houses are from 1898, mm-hmm. 1900, 1898. And I think they used to be houses for quarry workers. There was a quarry right nearby. Ah. Yeah, little lime, limestone, this is limestone country. Right. Um, anyway, the, if I remember this right, that she was one day, one day she was sitting down and they noticed A little piece of plaster flicked off the wall and they noticed like that that aliveness thing it was a sound she she thought i hear something now. (laughs) you know something broke broke off the wall and they kind of put their ear to the wall and there was a sound a real sound and so they just opened it a little bit more to the sound which sounded i don't know like breathing or something and they opened it a little bit more. And it was completely full with bees. It was completely full with bees. It was this whole huge wall. And they could see, you know, they didn't crack the wall all the way open, but they could see that there was, you know, from where they could see, there were, you know, hundreds of thousands of bees. But not only that, they could see that the wall, the inside of the walls, it looked like a, it looked like a, a creature you know, um, and they, you know, the whole thing, like lungs and stuff. And, and they looked inside of it for a little bit. And, um, and then they just patched it up. They lived with the bees. It was amazing, you know, that was, that was a thing. When, when that got around that they were like, oh, you could just live with them. That was something. (laughs) Yeah nice house too it's standing up real good yeah it looks yeah.
1: like it it's standing yeah. Real good. Yeah.
0: the honey house the honey house yeah yeah anyway i was just sort of thinking about the the ways we just didn't we just had forgotten how to care for stuff and a part of that forgetting how to care was like not recognizing how much just growing in the cracks and the asphalt was medicine And we're trying to eliminate all this, you know, (laughs) all this care the earth's trying to do for us. And, and, uh, yeah, we're getting better at that kind of listening, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Mulberry trees still doing real good around here. It's just, they don't, they never have a problem. (laughs) They never (laughs) seem to have a problem. Even before there was such a kind of concerted effort to put, fruit trees in everywhere there, there were always, <laughs> it was always easy to find mulberries. You could always find those black cap raspberries too. You know, those, those black raspberries. I
1: know, yeah.
0: They were kind of, they were kind they kind of move around real nice like that too. So, yeah. and they're easy to, they're easy to take cuttings from and move around. They're just, that's a real friendly, <laughs> that's a real friendly fruit. Yeah. Who knew times would be good. I know, I know that hard times could be good times, too.
2: hmm Yeah.
0: I remember, I just remember so much fear. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It was like, uh, that sort of, uh, automatic capitalist scarcity framework was like, it mm-hmm. will be, it is impossible that there is enough and we are all going to starve and we are all going to, or we might get together and figure it out. <laughs> We might do that, you know, like if you just get the out of our way, you know, we might be able to actually be like, oh, all right, you can do this, I can do that, we can do this. Let's do that instead, you know, let's, let's like, uh, let's, let's choose to like work on some stuff together as opposed to like getting our, getting guns, you know. (laughs) But hard together is so much better than like, okay alone, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, you know? Okay, alone is, is lonely. But hard together, is kind of like, all right, it's hard and it's, it's kind of fun, you right. know? Right. It's kind of, it's, it's, it can be rough and it can also be really, you know, really lovely. Really lovely to see how, how built-in it is to us to care for one another It's really beautiful to see.
1: Yeah. Man. That was How to Survive the Future, Episode 5, Near West Side. I produced the series with Alison Quantz. Allison also came up with the title. How to Survive the Future was produced in partnership with Indiana Humanities, with funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities, and with further support from the Writers Guild at Bloomington. We have music by Airport People and Ramon Monras Sender. Special thanks to Chuck Thraley and Ross Gay for imagining themselves into the future. You can listen to all five episodes of How to Survive the Future in a podcast app near you. And you've been listening to Interstates from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. Interstates is produced and edited by me, Alex Chambers, with support from Violet Barron, Ayoban Biner, Aaron Kane, Mark Chilla, Yane Sanchez-Lopez, Peyton Whaley, and Kate Young. Our theme song is by Amy Olsner and Justin Vollmer. Our executive producer is John Bailey. Until next week... I'm Alex Chambers, thanks for listening.